Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. If you've been with us for the last number of weeks, you know that we've been studying spiritual disciplines. And in fact, I've even had such a roadmap for this sermon series that I have titled my sermons. This never happens. I, I don't always give you the titles of my sermons, but if I pull up the file on my computer, each one of them has a heading regarding the different spiritual discipline, and it makes sense, and it's relevant. It ties into uh, the overall topic. Um, but we've been exploring these in-and-out practices that help us grow in our relationship of that, wow, I tried to read a word here, I read a sentence that I wrote, and I wrote, read every other word, so it didn't make any sense, and I recognize that now, uh, <laughs> because that's not how English works. You were supposed to fill in the blank. What I was getting at is uh, I've titled all my other sermons, and then today I've come to this place where uh, I'm back to my my natural self, my, my regular form of Nate Ward, where I don't have a title. In fact, I even have a, a working title here. It's Untitled Sermon Number 47, <laughs> if, anybody's, if anybody's okay with that. So if you want to take notes or anything today, you can write that down. But I was getting at it is that we've been in this series on spiritual disciplines. We've been talking about prayer. We've been talking about reading the word and how to implement these things practically. And I was really looking forward to this week in particular on our kind of roadmap of where we're going with this series because I was excited about prayer. And I, I kind of did a little introduction last week, but I, I was more excited to go a little more in depth into it this week. However, when I sat down to write this week and I uh, it's not a typical thing for me to have uh, immense difficulty or, or writer's block when I'm approaching a sermon. But this week, uh, I carved out excessive time. Uh, and I, when I say excessive, more so than I typically do in order to write this message and write this sermon because I really just wanted to knock it out of the park. Because I was talking to Adam last week. I was like, man, I was so tired last Sunday coming off of Red Mountain, and I felt like I made up more words than I said right, and was just a little discouraged with, with how I delivered my message last week. And I was talking to Adam, kind of mentioned that in passing, and he's always encouraging. He's like, if you're preaching the Bible, you can't miss. And I was like, well, I guess you can. Uh, anyway, he didn't say it like that, but uh, the gist of it was, uh, Scripture's inspired, so you don't have to worry if you're faithfully representing scripture. And I was like, okay, well, that's great. Thanks, Adam. Pat on the back. I'm going to knock this one out. And I, I took uh, two whole days where I sat down with my computer and my laptop and, you know, studying the scriptures. I was in Matthew chapter six. I was in Luke chapter 11. I really wanted to come and give you guys something that was like, man, Pastor Nate has just given me the key to unlock the secret of prayer in my life and how to do it. And you're going to be like, woo, 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 that was the best sermon I've ever heard on prayer. That's how I pictured it in my mind. The funny thing is, when I went to go write the sermon, it just wasn't happening. <laughs> it just didn't seem to, to, to come out the way that I wanted it to. And so... Uh, I really feel like we're going to take a detour this morning, and uh, it is with conviction that I say this, because I want to share with you what I feel like the Holy Spirit is prompting me to share, not just what I've kind of scripted out on an agenda or on a timeline. And as much as I think God can inspire those things, I don't think that it's somehow more spiritual to be spontaneous than it is if he, he laid out details for me to follow. If you guys remember, he gave very specific instructions when he was giving instructions on how to build the tabernacle, right? Or, or to, uh, to construct uh, the temple or even when you're looking at the ark. And I think it's important to follow those instructions and that he is a God of order. But at the same time, I want to stay sensitive to what he's speaking in the moment. And uh, I would rather not preach than preach something that is unprompted by the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I want you to hear that. I would rather just not say anything. I have a good friend, Daniel McLean, 
who told me that, uh, dude, if you ever get up and you don't feel the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit to say what you say, want to say, you should probably just read a psalm and sit down because that's going to be better than actually trying to force something or make something to happen. And um, So I say this, we are not done with spiritual disciplines. We're not like, oh, that was a cool thing that we started. I'm anxious to get back to that. But uh, take this morning as a holy interruption um, because I believe that what God wants to do today, we should approach it with expectancy. We should uh, approach it with sensitivity because I believe that he does want to do something special. Uh, if not just for me, <laughs> uh, I know that he will, but uh, I want him to do it for all of us today. And I want us to hear what the Lord is saying. And so I said, I don't know what everybody's week looked like, but I think, Celeste, uh, even you approaching me with wanting to do things a little bit differently with offering today was on point with where we're going. I don't know about you, but I had a, a pretty exceptionally full and crazy week. I mean, if I, if I had like a checklist, let's say like crazy week bingo, uh, I think I might have gotten a blackout just about, you know? Uh, you know, we had car troubles, we had doctor appointments, we had uh, meetings and funerals, and I got pulled over and talked my way out of a ticket. I say that I didn't get pulled over justly. The, the cop actually wound up agreeing with me that what I did was not illegal. I've never had that happen before. I'm going to chalk that one up to the grace and the mercy of God. But I still got pulled over, and it's not fun. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we, we, we had this just very full week. We had multiple birthday parties, and then I was, like, left picking and choosing between whose birthday party do I go to, <laughs> who's a closer and better friend. I can say that. I can say that because Elliot knows I loved him and I ditched his birthday party. Um, I'm, I was trying to get a reaction out of him, but he didn't, uh, he didn't, he didn't fall for it. But uh, our, our staff meeting in particular, I think, was a little uh, comical might not be the word, but uh, we, we had a staff meeting this week, and I, I was just sitting in that place trying to communicate, like, the things that we needed to do with the staff and uh, charting out, like, where we're going and what we're doing, and I was laying out some of my vision for the sermon series and, and these things, and it was a struggle to get through that uh, relatively short staff meeting, and Adam was the one who's like, dude, I think you just need to rest, because he's asking me, like, what is it that you need to get done today? And I spouted off like, I don't know, a bunch of nonsensical things that it's like, that's not all going to happen today. So he uh, says, I think you just need to rest. And I, I, I took some advice there, and I went home and I took a nap, and it was great. It wasn't a long nap. It was like 30 minutes or something like that. But uh, I think uh, somebody said it in spiritual. I don't know. But sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. I should get more amens to that than I did. <laughs> but it, it was in that place I came back, and I came back to work on my sermon some more, and uh, just had a, had a very uh, powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit. And I, that's where this message stems from. But have any of you guys ever had a car that was just good enough, and I use this definition lightly, to get from point A to point B? Like... You wouldn't trust it. Like, you wouldn't put your kids in this car to go from somewhere. But maybe, maybe it was before you had kids and, and you knew what it was like. You just needed to get to work or something like that. And if we wanted to define it as running, it would be a stretch. But you could get from point A to point B. Has anybody ever had a vehicle like that? How many of you currently have a vehicle like that? So we can pray for you. Cooper, Cooper confessed to me. He's been talking to me about this Jeep that he has. And fixing it up, and he's asking me questions and things, and it came out on a Friday night that uh, his Jeep doesn't even have four-wheel drive. I didn't even know that they made two-wheel drive uh, Cherokees, and so we've got a lot, a lot to discuss there. I told him that if I could bring that up in a sermon, that I would, and so there you go. That's me being faithful with that. I had this particular car uh, that, uh, it was a Chevy Cavalier. The transmission really didn't work in it because I put it in a ditch and Darwin came to save me one time. It was when I first moved here. And uh, 
because I'm such a good friend, and I am like the best friend anybody could have, I sold it to Adam. And <laughs> it was a relatively good car for a very short, minute amount of time. The thing with it is uh, that it had a, a really bad transmission leak. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, before you drove it anywhere, you had to pour like a, quart, uh, like a quart, maybe two quarts of transmission fluid in it before you could go anywhere. And eventually that degraded to where uh, first gear stopped working and third gear stopped working. And then I think at the end, you just go in reverse. Uh, I might have those gears mixed up, but for a period there, it was running just not with all the bells and whistles that you typically would want with a vehicle, like all the gears. Um, and I recognize this for myself on just a practical, physical, just emotional, mental, all the different descriptors that you can have. There are moments in my life where I sit down and realize I'm a lot like that car, that I'm getting by, but things aren't running smoothly. Things aren't running like they should. And uh, there might be some temporary fixes that we're taking where it's some JB Weld or dumping some, or dumping some transmission fluid uh, in as a, as a quick pick-me-up or as a, a quick fix. Um, but I, I got to be honest, this was how I was feeling this last week. You know, coming into Thursday and just looking at all that was on my plate, looking at all that I was trying to accomplish and do and uh, really wanting to do well in all of these areas and just feeling like the engine's on. <laughs> I'm putting it into gear, but I'm, I'm missing some steps along the way. And I, I'm, not, I'm not getting to where I'm wanting to be very smoothly. I'm barely just getting by. And I want you to know this, that the Lord doesn't intend you to live life just getting by. He didn't die on a cross and he hasn't promised you his Holy Spirit and giving you uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit for you to just get by. It's this whole difference between the, 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 the survival mindset and the thriving mindset. When I read the words of Jesus and the invitation of Jesus and the promise of Jesus, it is one where he has come to give us life and life to the full. And so as I was sitting down to write my message this whole week, and I would sit down and I would I'd be in passages about prayer and I had different points and outlines, there was one verse that I could not shake. And it was just like the Holy Spirit arrested me with it and wouldn't let anything else kind of come in when I was trying to meditate upon this message this morning. And that comes from Matthew chapter 11. The very end of Matthew chapter 11, Jesus issues what I believe to be one of the greatest invitations to the gospel, invitations to salvation uh, that exist. It's three sentences from our Lord. He says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the invitation of our Savior the promise of our Jesus, and it's convicting to me when I read it because I would like to think that I've already come to Jesus, right? Uh, I am serving as a pastor. I have been doing my best to follow Jesus for the last 16 years. I, I would like to check the box that I have come to Jesus, and that's how this begins, right? It's come to me. But when I dig a little deeper, I'd like to think that I've taken on his yoke, I like to think that I've learned from him. But if I'm being honest, I don't think I quite have gotten the lesson he's teaching. You see, a good metric of measurement for me is to ask myself the question, would others describe me as gentle and lowly in heart like Jesus described himself? It takes playing one game of Catan with me to know that that's not true. Maybe you're not a board game player, but maybe you've played uh, Ultimate Frisbee with me. 
Nobody is out there saying Nate is just really gentle and humble and lowly in heart. Y'all laughing. You should be praying for me. <laughs> right? I, 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 I can be honest when I'm reflecting upon myself, if I'm learning from Jesus, then these should be things that characterize my life. Uh, Adam was telling me just the other night, and it was on Friday night, we we're sitting down at a table and I was being provocative and trying to stir up conversation. He's like, Nate, you better be gentle. You need to cool it. <laughs> be kind. Um, and yeah, something that... Uh, I've not quite figured out yet. You see, I've always read this passage and this invitation primarily is an invitation to salvation. I believe that. And I think where we are misguided sometimes is we do the Lord a disservice where we think salvation is solely regarding where we go when we die. But Jesus doesn't come just to save our souls from hell. I believe that he dies to save and redeem the whole person and redeem our souls here and now as well. And so I think sometimes we'll read a passage like this and think, of, oh, yes, this rest for our souls obviously is referring to the afterlife. But I believe that it is a promise for the here and now. So it's 100% a passage regarding salvation. But if I'm being honest, this, this peace and rest Thing seems to be fleeting at times. But I, I, have to, I have to rest upon this knowledge and this truth that what Jesus, is prom what Jesus promises here isn't something that's fleeting, right? He doesn't, he, he doesn't give this disclaimer. There isn't an asterisk that, 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 uh, that sometimes there isn't going to be rest for your soul. Sometimes you are still going to be heaven laden and sometimes you are still going to be laboring and sometimes your burden is going to be really heavy. That isn't, there isn't like a, a secondary disclaimer to this. And so I've been wrestling with this over the last couple days and examining my life because at the end of it, at the end of everything, I want it to be, said that I was yoked evenly with Jesus. I want to, I want to be able to know that, that my soul has found rest, that, that I have only been taking up his burden, which is light, but it's something that I consistently struggle to do. And if I'm being honest, I have this suspicion that I'm not the only one in the room that struggles with this. Has anybody here in the last number of weeks experienced this fatigue, has experienced this weariness, experienced this exhaustion of where it just feels like there isn't rest. There isn't this rest for your soul, at least like Jesus describes it. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a surface level peace. Maybe there's this, this, uh, this idea of, of rest, but you, you, you hear this invitation and, and there's something inside of you says there is more than what I'm experiencing because that's where I'm at and I want to experience that today. And I believe there is grace from the Lord to enter into, uh, I believe, rest for our souls like Jesus talks about. That comes from being yoked with him. And so I have this picture. It's black. Ah, hey, see? It's clip art coming in clutch for us here. Uh, this is a picture of a yoke and some oxen. And so maybe you're reading this and you're like, I have no idea what a yoke is. But a yoke is something that would actually conjoin uh, or join two oxen together to accomplish tasks such as plowing a field and making sure that they were in step with one another. And so I'm going to read this so I don't so I don't jack this up, but uh, a yoke was typically and traditionally made of wood and it was hand carved to fit the neck and the shoulders of a particular animal. So it wasn't like you could just go to your buddy and borrow a yoke. Uh, yokes were intentionally made for a specific animal and it would fit the shoulders of that animal such as an ox and it would be designed in a way to prevent pain or discomfort. 
And in ancient culture, the word yoke was a term that was used to describe submission, actually. And submission is one of those words that we don't like in our culture a lot, right? We don't want to submit to anybody, don't want to submit to any kind of authority. But can I tell you that submission to godly authority, and this isn't me like, Pastor Nate over here, you better submit to godly authority and do what I say. You better show up to Ultimate Frisbee and play me in foosball. Uh, That's not the kind of submission that I'm talking about here, but I'm talking about the submission that Jesus models, right? When he submits his own will to the Father, that he might do what the Father actually desires. That that kind of submission, that godly submission is something that we're looking for. Um, but when we're talking about a yoke, it, it, was, uh, it was used to describe submission. And so When someone was described as being yoked to someone or something, it was communicating this idea that they were in submission to that person or to that thing. And it's a theme that is reflected in Scripture. You see, a farmer would take a young and inexperienced animal and pair it with a trained, a strong, a mature animal that would lead the younger one. A yoke would keep him in step and eventually... That would result in the younger animal replicating the actions and the demeanor of the older animal and in walking in step in being able to plow a field or, or be able to pull some heavy machinery, those kind of things. And so uh, when we talk about being yoked to Jesus, simply and plainly, it means to serve and to obey him. It is to walk in submission to his leadership until we live and act and walk in step with him. And I think it's something to note here that everyone is yoked to something. As much as we maybe don't want to admit it, everyone has some sort of belief or an ideal that they they hitch themselves to. Everyone, and I I mean this when I say everyone, serves some sort of God. The question is, whom or what do you want to be yoked to? I think that scripture is clear that some are yoked to the power of sin. They're under its control. They live under submission as slaves to sin. Galatians 5.1, Paul would say this, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty of by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. That's how he describes this entanglement to sin. And so when Jesus uses this language to take my yoke upon you, he means it in such a way that we are to submit ourselves to him every day in every way. I think some of us are on board with you know, Jesus being our Savior, but it's not so easy for us to submit to him as Lord because there are things that he desires of your life. There are things that he wants you to do and there are things that he doesn't want you to do. And this isn't a matter of Pastor Nate up here trying to get people just to to replicate him. It is a matter of there are very clear things that scripture outlines that God would share with us that he expects of us because he wants us at the end of the day to be a clear representation of him to those around us. And yet that is the number one complaint about Christians today, is it not? Is that they claim something but they fail to actually live it. They claim a saving knowledge of Jesus, but their lives are actually living in disobedience to what he instructs us to live. It's this idea of taking his yoke upon us. And so as I read this, I want to read Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 again. We're going to read it a few times, but it says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Submit to his leadership and learn from him because he's gentle, he's lowly in heart. And if we're to do that, the promise is that we would find rest for our souls. His promise is that his yoke is an easy one and his burden is light. I notice here that it doesn't say that there isn't work to be done, right? But he promises that his burden is a light one and that the yoke would be easy because when we're in step and when we're in tandem with him and he's leading, guess who's doing the heavy lifting? He is. But so often I think we 
yoke ourselves to expectations of other people rather than that to the Lord and we wind up seeing ourselves struggle and falter and flail and we wind up in this place where instead of rest for our souls, we're overwhelmed. But he promises us something that is easy. He promises us a burden that is light. So Jesus gives us comfort that in submission to him that we would find rest. Rest for our souls and in doing so, there would be a weight that would be lifted from us and a lighter, better burden would be exchanged. With that promise in mind, I want to look at these other verses of scripture because the gospels go on to describe what this is like, right? After we come to Jesus, after we begin to follow Jesus, he sets up expectation for what life is actually going to be like when we walk in step with him. And if we're just taking a cursory glance here this morning, they on the surface level seem to be contradictory because he doesn't promise us a life that is peaceful and restful and just eternal bliss. He promises us a life that is difficult, and he says some things that are hard for us to grasp. And so an example here is Matthew 7, 14, when he's talking about the wide, is the broad, wide and broad is the road to destruction. And then he'll go on in verse 14. He says, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. Some translations will even say hard is the way, which to me seems like the opposite of easy, Right? which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So in, in, in one verse, uh, Jesus is saying that my burden is easy, right? And my yoke, my, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then we get here and we're, we're reading that, it, that the way to life is hard. It's difficult. Well, Jesus, which one is it? Is it easy or is it difficult? Adam had this uh, like, I don't know if it was a recurring dream, but he had this dream where uh, I had just completely shown up one Sunday morning and told him that I wanted him to do everything different. We added another service, like we were like a mega church, um, but for that service, that was after this service, like we had to take all the stuff off of the platform and we needed to rearrange all the seats and we had all these different steps that we had to go through and uh, I was calling it the hard service, right? Am I getting the dream right for the most part? And it was basically all just this expectation upon Adam to do everything completely opposite of the way that we do it for the morning service and be completely different because I guess my personality just necessitates us doing everything difficultly, uh, <laughs> that I don't know how to do anything easy. But, but when I think about this language of the Lord, and when I think about what Jesus is saying here, that the way to life is difficult, that it's hard, and there's only few that find it, uh, I, I'm thinking most of you would agree with me on a surface level, that seems to contradict what he says, right, in Matthew chapter 11, but we go on. It doesn't stop there. The rest of the invitation, the next invitation that we see Jesus giving in Luke chapter 9 is, is one that he gives uh, multiple times. I'm using Luke chapter 9 just as an example, but he says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And so just, just kind of pause for a moment here. Are we talking about a life of peaceful bliss and soul rest or a trying one full of dying to self and sacrificial living? Uh, you probably can guess where this is going, but the answer is both. And I believe they're both 100% accurate representations of what Jesus has invited us to. And I don't believe they're contradictory in the least bit. And I'll say this because finding rest for our souls in Jesus doesn't change the fact that life is hard. And I think sometimes we treat the, hey, try Jesus. He's just going to make your life easy and, you know, we treat him as an easy button and everything that's wrong and everything that's difficult, if you just add some Jesus to it, it's going to make everything better and easier. 
It's not necessarily the case. It doesn't mean that our jobs somehow magically become less difficult or that parenting becomes less stressful. It doesn't mean that our ministries or our relationships or our illnesses or or, or the countless other struggles that, that we could include no longer weary us. I don't, want to, I don't want to pretend that that's the case because there are real struggles in this life. There are real, there's real pain that we experience and they, they do weigh upon us. They do make us weary. Life is full of difficulty for both the sinner and the saint. Is that not true? I know godly people that have followed him consistently and intentionally all of their days, that have suffered, really suffered. And it wasn't on account that they just didn't have enough faith. I know both the God-fearing and the godless that have experienced trial and pain, to experience the soul rest, this light burden of our Savior, it's not the equivalent of pressing an easy button. I have a few verses coming out of the Gospel of John that I really want to emphasize here this morning. One of them is in John 16, 33, and this is, a, this is a promise of Jesus that we can take to the bank. Uh, all of them can, but you guys get the rhetoric of what I'm saying here. In verse 33, it says, These things I have spoken to you, and the things that Jesus had spoken to his disciples were in reference to promising that he was going to give his Holy Spirit to mankind. We're actually going to look at, at, a, at the beginning part of John 16 here in just a moment, but he's promising to give the Holy Spirit to his people. He's promising that not only was Jesus going to go away, but that it was actually going to be better for him to go away because he was going to give the Holy Spirit, and now God was going to live inside of mankind and take up dwelling inside of his followers. And this was, that, that, that's, that's a big deal. That's, that's, that's huge. We could talk about that a lot, but that's the promise that he's referring to. These are the things that he was speaking to his disciples And he says that I'm telling you these things, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. So there's Jesus promising it, right? He's promising there are going to be difficult things, there's going to be hard days, you're going to have weeks where it just seems exhausting and it's crazy and things are spinning out of control, that that's going to exist, He says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. My very first Bible, um, I have it on my shelf. I've kind of had to stop using it um, because it's, it's falling apart. Um, <laughs> I don't know if any of you have a Bible like that, but um, it, was the, it was the very first Bible that I read, and then I learned, oh, you're allowed to write in this, and you're allowed to highlight things. And When I first gave my life to Jesus, I spent so much time reading the Gospel of John. And in particular, I, I hung out in John 14 through chapter 17 probably the most. It's this dialogue that Jesus has with his disciples, and he talks about the the promise of the Holy Spirit. He talks about abiding in him and abiding in the vine, and he, he, he ends it with this beautiful prayer where he's praying for his disciples, something called the high priestly prayer, and uh, I've had to stop reading that Bible because John 14 through 17 just isn't there anymore for the most part. Like I was reading it one day and it was gone. I realized it had fallen apart in a backpack and it's, it's really hard to read now <laughs> out of that Bible. But it's one of my favorite passages. It's... And 
And I think there's so much richness that we can pull out of these words. In John 14, 26 through 27, we're told, but the helper, I love that, I love that, I love that name. Some of your scriptures will say the advocate, but this is, this is how God would describe himself. This is, this is how he's talking about himself. He, he calls himself a helper. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The promise of the Holy Spirit and the promise of God here is that he would grant us peace. And I love the way the New Living Translation kind of phrases this. He talks about the, the New Living Translation refers to it as peace of mind and peace of heart. It's a peace that doesn't make sense is the way that I like to pray. I, I prayed this last Friday at a funeral for a dear friend that God would encounter this family with the peace of God. And I know that Paul would say that surpasses understanding, but to me it makes more sense to say that it just doesn't make sense. Because the peace of God is something that doesn't make sense. You can live in trial and tribulation and you can be in the midst of chaos. You can be in the midst of wrong circumstances and you can be in the midst of trying situations and you can be in the place of being overwhelmed and still find peace in the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't make sense and that's why Jesus would say it's not a peace as the world will give because the peace that the world gives knows a time where there's no war, knows a time where there's no turmoil and that's how they would define peace. It's something that's tranquil but the peace that God gives supersedes that and looks into the chaos and looks into the madness and looks into the struggle and says it's not that I'm just going to deliver you from that, I'm going to stand in the midst of it with you. Because I've conquered this. I believe the marriage of the, the difficult, narrow way of following Jesus. That, 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 that hard way of sacrificial living that Jesus would invite us to. That cross-carrying invitation. The marriage of that way of living. And the invitation that he gives of an easy yoke and a light burden, I think it's found by the grace and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Again, in John 16, right before he promises, <laughs> right before he promises that there was going to be tribulation, Right before he promises that there was going to be trouble, but tells us to take heart, to be of good cheer, that he's overcome the world. He would tell us this about the Holy Spirit. Beginning in verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. I'm going to read that again. And he, when he has come, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judge. I think there's something interesting about this invitation that Jesus gives to come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden. So I was reading this. I read a lot of Charles Spurgeon's messages. He, he particularly liked to preach on this passage of Scripture. <laughs> and he would talk 
a lot about this, this terminology of heavy laden, this, this burden. And it was always in reference to a burden and a weight of guilt for sin. I think that many don't come to Jesus like he invites us to because they don't feel the weight and they don't feel the burden of their sin. They don't feel the guilt that ought to accompany their sin because we live in a time frame and we live in a culture now that sin is not a big deal. I want to tell you it was a big enough deal for Jesus to go to a cross to do something about it. And as much as we would like to pretend like sin is just kind of, you know, it's, it's just character management stuff that we've got to figure out. Or, or, you know, it's just oopsies or mistakes or it's just something that we're always going to struggle with and it's always going to be there. So we should just kind of just bat an eye at it and not, not think it's a big deal. I want to tell you that God is still serious about sin. He was serious about it when he sent his son 2,000 years ago to die on a cross. And he still wants to deal with it today. And I think, I think we have this mindset that, oh, we can be forgiven from sin and therefore it's not a big deal anymore. Then we'll just go on and living in it. And Paul would have some strong words to say about that. I want to look like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. And I, for one, believe that conviction of sin is something that we should be grateful for. I want the Holy Spirit to come and convict me of my sin because I want to be pleasing to the Lord. And my prayer, and my prayer for you guys today is that God would convict you of sin, that the Spirit would do what man cannot. Because I can tell you that sinning's wrong, right? I can come up here and tell you that, you know, you probably shouldn't, like, beat on your wife or, you know, go get plastered on the weekends or be sleeping around with your girlfriend or all these different things, right? It, I, I could tell you that, you know what, going and doing a bunch of drugs is probably not a good idea, more than just a good idea. I could tell you that that's sinful, but can I tell you it means nothing unless the Holy Spirit is the one that comes and brings that conviction, I can, I can reinforce truth and I can be a conduit and sometimes the Lord can use me. But my prayer is that you would experience the conviction of the Holy Ghost. Because there are things that he wants to change. There are things that he wants to change in Nate Ward. And I need to experience that conviction of sin and of righteousness and judgment because that's what brings about change. You see, he doesn't just convict us of our sin. But he goes on and he convicts us of his righteousness. There's revelation that's given to how holy Jesus actually is. It talks about how uh, righteousness, because he goes to the Father and we don't see him anymore. And he's talking about himself as the litmus test, as the one that stands before a holy God. That we should be convinced of his righteousness and of judgment because judgment is coming for the ruler of this world and judgment is coming for creation. And this isn't a popular message. This isn't like happy, woo, yeah. We love that. But the reality, friends, is that these are the words of Jesus. These are the promises of Jesus. Is that there is real judgment reserved for those who will not say yes to him, who will not come to him. And so while, yes, peace and rest for our souls is this beautiful invitation, something that we desperately want, equally on the flip side, for those that do not come, they do not find peace. They do not find rest. Rather, we see judgment is reserved. Come to me, all you who labor. And are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light.
I want to learn from Jesus today. I want to come close to him and I want to receive this burden that is light and I want to receive his yoke that is easy because as long as Nate Ward is in the driver's seat, I, I wind up going stupid places. I want to live my life in submission to him, yoked to him with him leading. And that means I may not do some things that I think I should be doing or that I'm okay with because there are going to be things that he's not okay with. Like if you, if you sit in my car and you ride with me, number one thing, we're listening to the music I want to listen to. I love Elliot. He's a good friend. We will probably never be on the same page about the music that we listen to. But when I ride in his truck, we're listening to country music. And I pray for his soul. But when you ride with me, I listen to all kinds of nonsense. Very few songs that I know could be classified as country. The same is true when we're yoked with Jesus. He has preference for our life. He has things that he desires and he has things that he wants from us. And I realized country music was a silly analogy for where I was trying to go with this. (laughs) But there are things that he'll begin to convict us of that he doesn't want there that have no business being there. And he's completely righteous and just in asking for those things to be transformed and changed because he will provide the Holy Spirit to see it happen. But we have to give him, we, we have to allow him to do it. I, I've heard Jesus and the Holy Spirit described as a gentleman where he's not going to come and force change upon you. And I just want to, give him a, I want to give him an invitation as we come near, as we would respond to come to him and to take upon his yoke that is easy and his burden that is light, that we would willingly submit. And this is something that I hinted at earlier. It's something that we have to do daily. It's not something that is a one-time thing. That's why I struggled with this for so long because I've always referenced this verse as a, this is what you do when you get saved. And guess what? The things that you do when you get saved ought to be the same things that you do when you stay saved. (laughs) If that makes any kind of sense, 10, 20, 30 years from when you first said yes to Jesus, you should still be doing the things that you first said yes to. I don't know where I get it in my mind that it's okay to unyoke myself from Jesus because I've been on this Christianity train for 15 years. It still requires daily submission and surrender to walk in step with him. I'm going to be learning from him from this moment out. We don't reach a place of maturity where we just graduate from we no longer have to be yoked to Jesus. (laughs) I realize that sounds simple and a duh moment for most people, but I'm a, I'm a fairly simple person. I'd like to think of myself as a, like a, a quick learner. I like to like pick up things fairly quickly. Uh, and evidently, uh, that just isn't true, <laughs> especially when it comes to spiritual things. The Lord is patient and kind directing me. What I'd like to do this morning is I'm going to invite Adam to come I love that this invitation is open to all. It's not just a select few, but he says, come to me all, you who are weary, all you who labor, all you who are heavy burdened. That's me. That's certainly me. But he promises for us to find rest for our souls when we're in submission to him. That's not just something that we can just do in our own effort. Jesus would also say in the Gospel of John, I believe it's in John 6, that uh, no one comes to him unless the Father draws him. And I believe the Holy Spirit is present here today to draw us 
to Jesus to take up his yoke that is easy and his burden that is light, that we might find rest for our souls, but it's going to come in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. The beautiful promise that God would come and dwell with us and in us and in doing so that he would convict us of sin that he would convince us of Christ's righteousness and, and show that as a standard. Convict us of judgment. But all the while, understanding that it's not just to, to be a God that is manipulating things or making things happen. It's coming because his name is the helper. I think sometimes we, we picture God as this cruel taskmaster, or maybe, maybe you had one of those teachers that just loved giving really hard tests. I had a particular teacher in high school that would love to give tests that, uh, I don't know what, if she just prided herself in the fact that the majority of the class would fail or something like that. <laughs> but I want you to know that that isn't our God. He doesn't set you up for failure and he's never once asked you to do something that he's not fully prepared to equip you to accomplish. He will 100% of the time give you his Holy Spirit, his divine nature to help you do what he wants you to do. He's not, the, he's not the guy that's just going to give you a, a test and say, hey, take this test and pass this test without helping you figure out the answer. He promises to give the Holy Spirit. So my prayer for us today is that we would receive from him the help that he desires to give and that we would stop trying to do it in our own strength. Stop trying to make it happen that we would enter into his rest. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.